Good afternoon. Today is Friday, February 17th, 2017, and welcome to the Voices for Racial Healing podcast on Blog Talk Radio. We are live, and I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Tishka Smith, and before we start today's show featuring guest Melissa Holman, I wanted to remind you to join me tomorrow, Saturday, February 18th at 12 noon Eastern Time, for a special episode of Voices for Racial Healing with featured guests Tim Viola and Chris Mendoza. They are the filmmakers of a project, an exciting new film project called Americano. This project will be produced right here in the, in the city of Philadelphia. Um, they reached out to me last week and we agreed that having them on would be a really great opportunity to showcase what they're planning on doing. And the reason why I'm very excited about this project is that it asks us to think critically about our preconceived notions about immigrants and refugees and why our fears and misconceptions have placed us squarely in the moment we are, right, we are in right now with a president who is looking to build a wall, ban Muslims, and round up people using the National Guard. Yeah, that has, is breaking news today. More importantly, the film asks a simple question. What if the patriot we need right now is not a citizen? It's a very important question, and we'll be exploring that and more tomorrow, um, February 18th at 12 noon here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, FYI, the project is in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign, so you can hear about what you can do to support it. I'm telling you, you won't want to miss this, so please plan to tune in tomorrow at 12 noon. The filmmakers will be taking questions, so please call in at 516-387-1796. Again, that number is 516-387-1796. I encourage you to check out the complete information about tomorrow's episode, along with the website and social media links to the Americano Film Project on our channel on the Blog Talk Radio website, blogtalkradio.com backslash Voices for Racial Healing. Um, I hope you join us tomorrow at 12 noon for this special episode. Um, so now let's go ahead and open today's show by bringing on today's featured guest. Um, she was on last week. Melissa Holman is going to be joining me. I'm going to bring her in now. There's a lot to cover today. The chat room is open. The lines are open. And um, we're going to go ahead and get started. Melissa, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Thank you for All having right. me on again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining me again. We had to do a little uh, <laughs> moving things around, but I'm so glad that you agreed to join us. Um, there's another call on the line. Let me check who this is. With my, uh, my son. My Hello. This is, this is Tishka Smith of uh, Voices for Racial Healing. Who am I speaking with? Uh, hello. Hello. Um, I'm um, I'm Melissa's uh, son. Um, oh, okay, great. <laughs> All right. So, Melissa, I'm going to have you introduce your son um, before we get started. Um, we had a uh, like a spur of the moment idea. How about if we have our kids on? I'm waiting for my daughter to join us. Um, she may or may not join us, but I'm glad to have you on. So, Melissa, go ahead and introduce your son. Um, my son's name is. Sazi, he's mm-hmm. 15 years old, and he's a political junkie. Yeah. Very, very astute. There's a little bit of an echo. 
Is there an echo? Yeah, it's th- throw me off a little bit. Okay. Go ahead. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But um, we spent a lot of time around the house talking about politics. Um, and lately we've been extra busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last week has been extra busy. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time this week on the episode page documenting links to all the stuff that has been um, unfolding in real time. So, you know, starting with the uh, resignation of um, Trump's national security advisor, Robert, uh, Richard, Richard Flynn or Robert Flynn? Michael. Um, Michael Flynn. My, my bad. There's so many names. It's just hard to keep everything in track. So we, we started with that and we're ending with breaking news of a memo that has been um, in draft form in the, in the last few weeks about a plan to use the National Guard to round up undocumented workers in 11 states, many of which have nothing to do with the border. So <laughs> um, Twitter is on fire about this. So I want to I wanna kind of start out by asking the question, how does this feel being 15 and watching all these events unfold, you 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 came of age in the age of Obama, and now we've gone from that to this. How, how I want to hear your thoughts about that. Um, well, it, an analogy I like to use is like a tornado. It's um, fascinating and terrifying at the same time, um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the feeling I get <laughs> uh, now. Yeah. Um, so what exactly um what exactly for you stands out in terms of um this rapidly unfolding um and chaotic administration? I mean, we're only like thirty days into this and it's it's just so much chaos and so much confusion. Anything about what Trump has done or talked about that stands out for you? Um you know, there yeah, it's like almost too much to count, but his what really stands out to me is more than his like the hatred or the hatred that he's emboldened, mm-hmm. uh, is just his pure incompetence. Uh he has like no business being in that position. Uh and he proves it every single day. <laughs> oh, okay. So what makes you say what makes you <laughs> assert that that he's in no position? Why do you why do you feel that way? Well, um, I remember during during the transition after he won, um, he wasn't uh, attending his intelligence briefings, and I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because he shouldn't really be near classified information, but at the same time, um, I mean, it's kind of his duty. But um, and additionally, I believe the NSA said that they're withholding information from his intelligence briefings because of his connections to Russia um, mm-hmm. and these things around him. I mean, he's, he's very thin-skinned when, he's, when he wasn't the president. So, I mean, just now it's, like, amplified by a factor of, like, a 1,000. Um, so you, you're, you're a sophomore in high school? Uh, yes. So what's happening in school? Tell me about... 
the day after the inauguration. Did you did you in did you encounter any uh, um, uh, like gloating, gloating, or you know, get over it, you're a baby, blah blah blah, um, type of rhetoric from your classmates? Um, not directed at me, but there definitely was a lot of that. Um, my school uh, is predominantly uh, white, and he, uh, Trump won the county that uh, mm-hmm. we live in, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was pretty miserable. Um, these a lot of kids wearing like like Trump like shirts and hats and memorabilia, uh-huh. um, and they were being uh, very loud and obnoxious. Um, I just I try not to engage them. I just like kept myself most of the day. But yeah. I'm sure I would have gotten that from them if I had said something. Huh. You know, it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on social media. And there are two things that I notice that happen consistently um, on the part of people who are hardcore Trump supporters. Two things. One is the get over it, you lost rhetoric. And then the fake news rhetoric. And Melissa, mm-hmm. I'll have you jump in on this as well. Does it feel like a lot of this is like is it's like um I don't know, it's like they all got their talking points and they're so wed to these talking points that you can't have a com you can't have a nuanced conversation. You quickly get shut down if you challenge any part of Donald Trump's policy by you know, oh, you're a whiny liberal loser, you need to get over it, you're a baby, or, you know, if you try to discuss something framed around a news article or some kind of statement from a journalist or whatever, that is, you know, you're quickly, you quickly get shut down by, oh, that's fake news. Like, how does that help (laughs) have a conversation about, because, you know, when Obama won, we didn't have that. There was no <laughs> get over it, you lost, or, you know, anything that challenged Obama. And there was a lot of challenges to Obama's authority, much of which was led by Donald Trump with the whole birther controversy. Nobody was talking about fake news. And it wasn't robotic like it is now. Do you agree with that, or what do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely with with Obama it was completely different in that he also he tried to bring into the fold the people that didn't vote for him. Right. He he didn't you know Trump has made a point of alienating and dismissing the people who didn't vote for him. He went on a victory tour in the states that voted for him. Yeah. And he picks and chooses who he speaks to from the press. Uh, you know, based on whether or not they're friendly towards him or they're going to ask him questions that he thinks uh, will show him in the best light. It's just a completely different atmosphere. Yeah, speaking of a a press conference, go ahead, go ahead. I also think that another issue is that it's not even so much the the fake news, even the real news these people don't care about. I, I wrote a status a while ago about if people found out that he was truly connected to Russia, that they would just, like, laud him for, like, you know, like, oh, great, hot women, vodka, it's okay. And I really think that's the way it's going to be now. They just make excuses for it, even yeah. if they do think that it's real, mm-hmm. which is just very strange. But, you know, 
you're not dealing with rational people. Yeah, it's it's troubling to me because it it makes it difficult to critique policy if you're so vested in shutting down dissenting voices or voices that want to you know want to critique things. You know, it 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 makes it hard to have the dialogue that this country you know, that's the hallmark of, of what this country is about, having debate. And, you know, Marco Rubio gave a, you know, Senator Marco Rubio gave a um, a really interesting speech to his fellow senators maybe a few days ago, a week ago, um, that made the rounds on social media where he said, you know, if the senators can't have reason debate and we're supposed to be setting an example for the rest of the country if we can't have and this was all in response to efforts to shut down um senator elizabeth warren when she attempted you know to read the speech um or the, or the letter that coretta scott king wrote basically saying you know just Jeff sessions is a really bad choice for uh i think he was up for what was he up for a judge attorney general yeah. Well, this was the letter that she wrote was like 25 years ago. And she oh, read yeah, this letter. Judge. Right. Yeah. He was up for a judgeship. And she read it basically in protest of um, Jeff Sessions becoming attorney general. And they basically censured her. And so he was saying, you know, if we can't have debate in the Senate, <laughs> then we're pretty much screwed. Um, like, and I see that. Trump is really like doing a really bang up job trying to appeal to the base to the exclusion of everybody else. And I think that's very troubling. It's very troubling, but I see it as a, you know, one of the things that I think that it offers is a, it's a blessing in disguise kind of warped for social justice movements. And, you know, here on this podcast, we like to talk about, about how do we heal and move past through acknowledgement and, um, hard work, um, the traumas of race and other racial, um, you know, traumas and oppressions, not just racism, but all of them, because I feel they're all tied to, you know, unchecked power. Um, So really, I want to talk about in the context of today's podcast, how does Trump's missteps offer an opportunity for social justice movements to do it differently? So I'll throw that question out to you all, and let's talk about that. Well, I think it gives to some people, um, it gives them an in with some people who might not normally be paying attention to them because it lends mm-hmm. um, more credence to some of the ideas that they're promoting. You know, they've known all along that Trump was insane. Right. So they're seeing how these policies are affecting themselves and they're more amenable to working with groups like, you know, BLM, more groups that are just focused on um, a, a smaller demographic. So in other words, it, it you know, Trump's missteps give social justice movements an opportunity to connect with people who may feel some kind of way about what Trump is doing, but may not have been engaged in any kind of activism before. Exactly. I'm I'm still having a little trouble with the echo. That's why I sound so good. Sorry. 
Is it on your end or? Yeah, I think so. You, I can't figure it out. Do you wanna you wanna come back or you know log out and come back? I mean, you can do that if you want. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll we can I'll keep do that. I'll Call back. Okay. Um. So, right. what about you? What do you think about what this means for for you and and young people like you? How do how do Trump's missteps energize young people? Do you you know what do you think? Um, I I do think that it um as my mom said it 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 does bring more people into the political arena um to begin with um because it's mm-hmm. just so I mean politics is just so in your face now um you know it wasn't like yeah. this like like during like the Obama Romney era um and um, you know, I, I do think that I, for the uh, black community or for immigrants uh, or, like, the LGBT community or any historically marginalized group, um, um, I mean, I, I think we can get through this. Um, uh, we've uh, done, done a lot. lot. Um, <laughs> it's pretty impressive that we're still here. We've got to that we've gone through. Okay, now I'm, I'm hearing an echo. Are you all in the same room? Yes. Is that why, maybe? That might be why. Let me try. Let me um, walk away. (laughs) I'm going into the West Wing. Okay, go to the West Wing. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yep, that's better. No echo. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah, if you all, yeah, it's, it's something about that makes that happen. So it looks like we've got the problem solved. Oh, good, because um, that was really throwing me off. So, how do how what what energizes young people? Like, what makes you all angry enough to take to the streets? Angry enough to get on your blogs and on social media? Like, I'm really curious. Usually, usually it's a specific um, story or incident, like. Uh, uh, I remember when Michael Brown was shot, um, or mm-hmm. even back before that when uh, Trayvon Martin was murdered. Um, it's, I mean, it's like these sort of incidents, and then uh, combined with seeing how people react to it, like, um, like, like react to it like negatively, like excusing like the actions or justifying the actions of the uh, of the killers. Um, uh-huh. I think it's like it's definitely incensing. It's very angering. Uh, but at the same time, it does empower young people to um, channel that anger into into action. Um, so yeah, it's usually it's usually a specific incident, um, and and usually we have enough specific incidents, unfortunately, to to keep that that fuel running, that flame mm-hmm. alight. So what do you need? What what kind of support do you wish you could get from adults like us, old folks like us? to help elevate and amplify your activism? Like, what are, what are we doing wrong, in your opinion? Um, I can't quite think of anything that is being done um, wrong. Um, I mean, uh, a lot of programs like this, um, mm-hmm. and I know that there are other ones similar to it, um, they give, give uh, young people or uh, just conscious people uh, like all of them, uh, a platform um, 
And I think that's that's something that is it's difficult for a lot of uh, kids, especially less privileged ones, to have a voice um, in today's society at all. So um, providing a platform, I think, is the most is the most essential element uh, of young activism for young activists. And what ideally, what is a like a platform? I mean, you mentioned like this venue and others like it online, but in terms of like real time platforms, um, what what ideally would you consider to be a good platform? Like one that just allows you to just do your thing. We get out of the way and let you kind of have um, run of the place. Or do you need direction? Do you need guidance? Ideally, what would that look like? What would what a what would a p- ideal platform look like? Um, most likely, uh, like an, an independent an independent media organization. Um, that that way, um, like I'm not under the uh, the, the governorship of anyone, um, mm-hmm. that uh, that would be ideal. Um, and you know, if it if it were to take off, then maybe I could get on TV or something. I know that's a lot of <laughs> wishful thinking. <laughs> but um, yeah. is, is that what you want to do? do you, are you aspiring to be um, a journalist or a commentator or? you know, some kind of media personality? Is that is that what you're aspiring to be? Um, that is not necessarily what I'm aspiring to be, but I do intend on being in, an activist uh when I get older. Okay. Um, in addition to whatever else I'm doing. So if that if that if that takes off, I would be more than happy to do that. Mhm. Okay. Um so let's let's go back to what's been going on. There's just a lot to cover. I I put up like nine links on the episode. So we had (laughs) the week opening up with Michael Flynn's resignation, um, abrupt resignation from his position as National Security Advisor. And that was centered around the fact that he apparently or allegedly didn't keep Mike Pence in in the loop about his ties or his contacts with Russia. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so I posted a link to a Washington Post op-ed entitled "The Flynn Crisis Paralyzes the White House," and this was this was written on February fifteenth. So that was like Tuesday um, or Wednesday, or I, I can't get the days. But basically, we're talking about a piece that basically asserts that this particular instance where this guy resigned abruptly basically paralyzed or like rendered <laughs> rendered the White House immobilized. And I, I don't necessarily buy that, but what do you what do you think about the impact of Russia and this question about the alleged ties that the administration has to Russia? Do people care about um, that? Like, what do you think? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, it's, I mean, like 30 years ago during the Cold War, I mean, this would have been, this would have been like uh, huge. Um, now it's really only uh, like a big deal within the political arena. Um, and, you know, his, uh, Donald Trump's cabinet um, and his White House and his staffers, I mean, it's like, it's like a, 
bad news bears of, of politics. It's really just a nightmare. And <laughs> bad news bears. <laughs> I like that reference. <laughs> Thank you. This is a ragtag group of uh, <laughs> like the worst of the worst. <laughs> yep, that is uh, precisely accurate. And in addition, I've seen a lot of things with uh, with them, but they're not getting along. They're like trying to take each other down <laughs> um, to advance their own political careers. And I also think they want to take advantage of Donald Trump because Donald Trump is is basically a puppet because. Um, uh, and I think we all want to take advantage of him at once. Uh, and so, and then in addition, there uh, ties not just with Flynn to Russia, but with Trump himself to Russia, uh, yeah. with other members of his cabinet to Russia. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on in there. Um, I, I think paralysis, that seems like a very realistic uh, um, situation that could be going on in the White House right now. Yeah, I think I think what it did was it threw it threw it into more chaos. So like so you had following up to this resignation more evidence that um the Guardian reported on. Um and we got the Democrats, I'm like so embarrassed by it. I've been tweeting about the Democrats really just um making us look bad, making us progressives look bad. They don't have any spine, you know. Like if you want to, if, if, <laughs> like you keep talking about investigating, like we right now we're at a point beyond talking. Like there needs to be action. Like there is, like if anybody's been paralyzed, it's been the Democrats. The Democrats are like, you know, they're just like I don't know, impotent right now. But and there's all the, and there's just supposedly all this evidence mounting. Um, and, you know, Pelosi's calling for it, Schumer's calling, Schumer's calling for investigations, but yet there's nothing. Like, the, 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 the bite of the Democrats has basically been rendered completely ineffective, in my opinion. They're what worthless. do you think? Um, I mean, I think they're worthless. <laughs> Have you seen the clip that's recirculating from the debate uh, where – uh, in which uh, Clinton calls uh, Trump a puppet of Putin, basically. No, I didn't see that. Um, it's, I can't remember which debate it was, but it's been circulating again. And um, from everything I've read and just, I, I think they've known all along there was Russian interference. And mm-hmm. I complained a lot uh, once there became, it became clear that there was so much evidence to challenge the election results that they didn't, and I think they knew all along. I think the Dems were well aware of what was going on. At least, you know, I would say they knew the majority of it. They might not have known every detail, but they mm-hmm. knew ample evidence that something was going on. And right. I just found it very frustrating that they didn't bother to challenge the, the, the results. People were like, well, we'll impeach him once he gets in. And my whole thing was don't let him in. Because it's going yeah. to be chaos, and that's what's happened. Yeah. And they had, yeah. and people kept saying, "Well, she's supposed to concede." But no, this isn't normal. You should. You have to fight impending fascism. And um, mm-hmm. I just wonder what it is because it, clearly they must have something on the Dems also, or in, in some. I mean, at least on Clinton. I mean, I think you know the emails weren't a big deal, but technically they were grounds for her to for him for her to be indicted. And I think mm-hmm. that 
the threat of that is part of what kept her silent. And I don't know if you've listened to some of their interactions. Um, you know, he's implied that, like, that's not off the table. Yeah, so he, he says, no, yeah, no, not going to bother her. But he also says little things that, like, leave it open. So I think that's part of the reason for her silence. Part of it is just I think she's complicit and doesn't really care. Um, and that's how, you know, most of the Dems are. I think they're, they're, they're more interested in preserving their position because there's ample evidence of so much malfeasance on the part of the Republicans. It, it's just, it's ridiculous. It, and it's just really, to me, unconscionable. I hold the Dems to a higher standard. I don't know why I do because I don't think they're that great either. But, yeah. you know, it's, I, think, I think that they've known that they could have done something about this before it happened, you know, before yeah. it got this far. I agree with that. I mean, it just, I just, I just saw them as being completely impotent and whether it's because they, you know, they have their own secrets and, and crap that if exposed could, you know, create a scandal. It's to me, it's like, you know, the band aid needs to be ripped off on both sides. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this sort of attitude that I got secrets on you, you got secrets on me. We all know that there are secrets. <laughs> like at this point, we're 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 on the brink of you know complete chaos, and I don't really give a crap whose secrets are the worst. Like we got to get to the bottom of this Russia question because I feel like we're nibbling around the edges, and you know we really need to just expose it for what it is so we can move on. And if that means the Democrats get exposed to, then fine, because we have to move, we have to, we have to make, we have to make things whole at this point. And that means we need to answer some very uncomfortable, uncomfortable questions. And I see, I don't see social justice movements stepping up and saying we need complete accountability from everybody so that we can get to the bottom of things so we can move on. I mean, if that means we need to clean house across the board, we need to just do that. Like, it's just not, you know, like you said last week, reform is not where we are. <laughs> you know, we need, we need to just completely, like, scrap the whole thing and do it again, you know, and rebuild something else. Well, because it's too yeah. much money. It's too much, too much, you know, it's too much money. It's too many, you know, people using the system for their own ends. And... You know, we don't have anyone really independent enough who can say, you know what, the Democrats are just as foul as the Republicans, and we really need to press all of them for complete accountability. Yes, I really think it's, it's, the Democrats are, they're, um, they're really just, you know, a lot of them, they're part of the establishment. I mean, the difference between the, the GOP establishment and the corporate Dems is, is marginal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, they're still getting their money. Um, I don't think they can. And then the ones like the more like the more progressive wing of the Democrats, like like Warren and Sanders. I mean, I, I think they say the right things, but they don't really do enough to make sure that these things are said. Um, they re- they're just they're too polite. They're too like if if the Republicans are going to be polite, then I don't see why. Like that that this whole mentality of like when they go low, we go high. That has to be scrapped because. Uh, they're about to go. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. They're about to like send this entire country below. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, 
yeah, it's it's very it's very frustrating to see the uh, the Democrats in action. It is. Yeah, but I think another thing that's frustrating is that we have this larger movement. You have some, you know, groups like BLM, who are, you know, we they were protesting during Obama's administration, and they have an understanding that the stuff that's, you know, the, the stuff that's occurring has has happened to black people all along. This is not mm-hmm. new with the Trump administration, so they know what time it is as far as the Democrats. But then you have all these, you know, a lot of these these white women. And this whole, you know, the, the women's march and these white women are still hashtagging, I'm with her. And you can't do that. That's not going to solve the problem. We can't put neoliberals back in office in 2018. People keep talking about that. Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're showing you have all these things being passed around, uh, who's up for re-election. We have to vote in them. No, we can't. I'm not saying, obviously, I want the Republicans out. But um, voting in more neolibs is not going to help us. It's going to bring about very incremental change. It'll take us out of some of the craziness, but ultimately um, we're still going to have most of, you know, many of the same problems. I'm really interested in the Justice Democrats, um, this group being promoted by uh, journalists from the Young Turks and from um, former Sanders staffers and some other journalists, and they're mm-hmm. basically trying to usurp the Democratic Party, which I think is a really good tactic. I love the idea of third parties but I don't think we had that kind of time. I think, you know, a really good stopgap measure would be, in the interim, usurp the party, uh, put in people who aren't beholden to corporate interests, try right. to get these, people, get these people in. Because voting in neolibs, again, is just going to, we're, we're going to be in the same place, you know, right. basically. Yeah, and I so think that's, that's a bit frustrating. corporate interests, you know, the corporate interests and the money driving you know, politics the way it, it, it works today, um, like in order to really reach people so that they're aware, even, even to get on the ballot, you know, you got to have money, you got to have resources. So how how are, how is this group, the Justice Democrats, um, how do they, how are they going about using resources to get, because I, you know, I wasn't familiar with them. Um, oh, I should have given you. Honest. I'm sorry, I should have given you a link. Um, there, um, a, a, a lot of them. Are, go ahead. Good. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, a lot of them are. They're mainly funded through um, through their supporters. Like I know Bernie Sanders, his his campaign was funded. Uh, his primary campaign was funded entirely by by his supporters, I believe. Um, and I, I think that they do it. They do a good job with with transparency. Um, and uh, and a lot of them, they run on platforms of, of money out of politics, which I think is the most important thing because um, I think money in politics right now is what's preventing the, the corporate Dems from taking any action because like they're getting their money, so they don't they don't really care. So it's just, I mean, money in in politics is just is it's cancer, um, and right. it's, it's it's manifesting itself ever more. <laughs> Yeah, I, I donated. I donated I'm a little bit to the Justice Dems. So they're they're doing fundraising, a la yes. uh, Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders, to um to to mount these uh, campaigns, and they have a very ambitious go on their Twitter page right now, recruiting hundreds of people to run a unified campaign to replace every establishment congressperson in 2018. So aiming for what the midterm elections? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, but how do they get past the the Democrat brand? Like they they're calling themselves just as Democrats, but they're Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that's a really <laughs> tough thing, and I think you know it's, it's interesting because I think we just saw. I think that they probably would have preferred to do to go third party. But we saw what happened. I mean, Jill, it just yeah. signed. It, it, you know, everybody's pointing to her as, like, she's the spoiler. She barely got any votes. I mean, she really yeah. got such a minimal amount of votes. It's disturbing. So the third party is not, it's not going to work right now. We, we're, like, in a state of emergency. <laughs> we have to, like, uh-huh. take back this country. And um, overall, I wouldn't, you know, somebody proposed that to me. If I heard that before, I would have been like, no, like, we need something else. It's not going to work. But they seem very committed to keeping money out of politics and running in a way more in the way that Sanders did. So mm-hmm. I just think they're our best hope because they can they can use the, the Democratic Party the way Sanders did by you know he has the name he didn't really you know he did I thought what he did was smart and I think they're kind of following in with that idea and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it can be done but I still think it's a better they have a better chance of usurping the party um, without money without the money interest the corporate interest. Um, than they would running third party. And, you know, I don't know. I, I still get worried that, you know, I really think there's something inherently corrupting in politics. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'd like, to, I'd like to think that they get in, if, they, if we are able to get them in and they're not beholden to corporate interests, they will be different. I mean, Sanders isn't mm-hmm. perfect. There are plenty of things I don't like about him. But overall, he's been pretty consistent in, in, his, in his behavior, you know, his, his voting, his, his, you know, his goals and, and, and things like that. So I'm hoping they'll be, you know, similar. I'll take I'll take that right now. You know, okay. over the neolibs and definitely over yeah. the OPM now. This is insanity. So let me I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break right now. I've have a caller on. I'm thinking this is my daughter. Let me just check. Uh Area Code six seven eight. You're on uh with Voices for Racial Healing. Hi. Hello. It, it is me. It's it's me. Hey, uh, hey, Geneva. Hi. Yes, hi, mother. <laughs> um, I was actually just listening in. I, I apparently haven't been on too long, so I, I haven't been able to get everything you all have talked about since you all started. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I can bring you up to speed. We're um, so Melissa. Melissa, can you introduce your son to my daughter, Geneva? Hi, um, I'm Melissa, and um, photographer. I work with your mom on different different projects, and um, my son is 15 and a sophomore in high school in the suburbs outside of Philly. Okay, Sazi. Nice to meet you. Nice Nice to meet you too. too. (laughs) Pardon? That was great. (laughs) So we're talking about we're talking about this weekend Trump, and we're talking about what the Democrats haven't done very well and what um, what this group called the Justice Democrats is doing to try to mount a challenge to the establishment in time for the uh, midterm elections in, in 2018. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that has worked, we've seen work with the Sanders campaign and even before that with Obama's campaign is this idea of grassroots fund- fundraising to keep corporate money to the extent that you Mm -hmm. can out of, um, you know, out of the, um, out of the political arena, 
unduly influencing people's, you know, uh, platform, message, et cetera. And, you know, one of the things that I I raised was the concern is this group called the Justice Democrats is still Democrats. (laughs) So how do they overcome that stigma? Um, And Melissa made a very good point about, you know, not, you know, the, the perils of running as a third party. And having that Democrat reference in the name would potentially, you know, maybe ensure that people aren't thinking, oh, that's a third party. I'm not going to support them. It would hinder um, them for the fact that, I mean, they would have to show a lot of potential than to just be called this one particular, like, you know, I guess, change. Right? Right? Am, yeah. I, am I getting mm-hmm. it? Right. So, I mean, the idea is to get the estab- you know, as many of these establishment politicians out of their seats by the midterms um, so to, to try to change the conversation about, you know, about Trump's policies, right? So, you know, and then to perhaps push the whole impeachment agenda, which would be nice. Um, but what I want to talk to you about, Geneva, and I was, I was uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about this, when Trump was elected, you're you're in college, you're a sophomore in college down in Georgia. Yeah. What is the climate down there, and at your school? You don't have to mention where you are, but what's the climate like? What was it like the day after Trump was elected? Well, the day after, not even the day after, but more so the week after, you could tell that um, the air kind of changed, as in like. There was a there was a sense of uh, tension and relief on you know both sides if you get what I'm saying um, you know because a lot of people you know of course this is a Republican state but you know a lot of people who aren't so much into the whole Republican Party um, that yet just Trump in general you know you could tell they kind of felt like myself felt a little defeated um, because you you think as a as a person of you know I guess the younger generation you would you would think by at this point in time you know it's 2017 it's 2016 you would think that people would be a lot more open to a possible female uh, president you know because gender plays a role in damn near everything but. You know, even though I wasn't necessarily too excited to, to you know, even think of having Hillary at least, not saying anything about her gender or her race, but just Hillary in general, you know, you would think she'd actually have some sort of a chance. So mm-hmm. once, you know, the decision was made, it was kind of like, it was, it was just, it, it, not even just then, even now, it seems eerie, like, where I go to school, it's, it's a little, in my opinion, a little rural, uh, rural country, little town, little hick town, in my opinion, once again, um, <laughs> where the great majority is either successful, uh, low-down, you know, down-low individuals of different backgrounds, which you won't really see oh. unless you somehow take a stroll in, you know, the little downtown area. But... Um, <laughs> You know, majority of you know the population is uh, white. So, okay, I don't know. For me, it's 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 
it's been it's been really strange. Like there are times that I have to catch myself from from like saying anything because I have to remember where I am. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm huh. the minority. You know, when it comes to uh, how that decision was made. Now, let me ask you a question because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Okay. And there was this notion about this, you know, going around. There was a, you know, piece written about several pieces written about the secret Trump voter, and the idea behind that was that there were people among us who mm-hmm. may outwardly on social media say, "Oh yeah, I, I would never vote for Donald Trump, and Hillary's right. my woman, right? She's my, you right. know." But at the polls. They're voting for Donald Trump. But yet we're told that, you know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, although he took the Electoral College. So, you know, trying to reconcile all that, I've been thinking a lot about that. But then I'm also thinking in the aftermath of the election, you know, right. you're, you're interacting with people, especially if you're in, a, in, in settings where you're interacting with with white people, and I'll just say this frankly, like you don't know who you're dealing with. And and for me, it's kind of made me a little bit anxious. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? I, like I, you I, just, I, just a little anxious, you know, just a little bit. Okay, a lot. Like, <laughs> like you're, yeah, you know, you're at a store, so you're at a restaurant, and you're like, okay, so who is this I'm dealing with? Right. And as yeah, you like snowball, you snow right. You like side eyeing people, and it makes you like paranoid. And no. you're just like, <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I mean it's just. Understand. Go ahead. No, it's just like you feel like if you say something like Trump's an ass or Trump's, you know, really going in the wrong direction, you might be talking to someone who voted for him. Right. And if you're in a situation like maybe you're at the doctor's office and your nurse yeah. voted for Trump or your doctor voted for Trump. Oh my god, my dad had be... that had had that happen yesterday. Really? Really? So what what yes. happened? He was um he went to see he has a lot of medical issues unfortunately. He lives in he lives in Houston. We're trying to get him up back up here. But um, he's from this area, and he was talking to his doctor, and um, he brought it up. He said something about Trump. I don't remember what the context was, but she was went on and on about him. You know, she was saying, you know, she was clearly he had voted for him, and he was like, he said if she hadn't, you know, she he was in the middle, of, she was in the middle of prescribing medicine and helping him with things, and he felt stuck because he, you know. Right. You know, he's he's very sick. He needs the medicine. He really doesn't enjoy going to the doctor. He kind of had to suck it up. And then he went mm-hmm. out and spoke with um, the, uh, the one of the nurses who works there, who is black. And mm-hmm. um, and you know, he asked her. He's like, "How are you dealing with this?" And she said, "I need a job." Oh, and yeah. So I, you know, it's I'm sure this is going on all over the place. But yeah, it's just funny because I had this conversation with my dad yesterday. He was not happy. Oh yeah. So Geneva, like just thinking about where you are, the anxiety, you're 
in a university setting, you are surrounded by white people, you don't know who's who, like, do you have a sense of, like, how folks voted in the town? I mean, I know Georgia was red, so that, you know, Georgia went for Trump. But oh, on a yeah. on a micro level, like the people around right. you, how do people? You know, have you had conversations with with your roommates, classmates? Has this come up in class? Have you Actually, debated it? Um, last semester, I took a science fiction um, class, and uh, mm-hmm. we, as a class, had a discussion. Um, of course, it's been some time. I'm not going to remember everything. But some of right, the main right. topics were, you know, fear. You know, fear, anger. Me, I know I, I, I was, I, I was saying, you know, if somebody wants to square up, you know, square up on me, you know, <laughs> handle my business on a joking oh note. But, um, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I felt angry and upset, you know, because a lot of uh, the individuals within the class. Um, were white, and you know they didn't really seem like they had much to say, and you know it's it, it, it's getting me to the point when it comes to conversations like that, which I realized while taking this class last semester. You know, people try to really avoid it, even though they know, you know, the the decision that they have made, you know, and and how it affects others. You know, because a lot of the decisions that are made, you know, especially in this in this uh, particular situation, you know, with Trump and whatnot, you know, a lot of these people who who vote for him really thought that they were going to benefit from him. You know, so yeah. within this, you know, I'm thinking about these people who aren't speaking, who aren't really putting, you know, any type of input. You know, and it, it, it and it and it frustrated me because it's just like, well, you know, like. <laughs> I know, I know it's it's something there. I know it's 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 some sort of uh, I don't know uh, some sort of like I said earlier, like relief, knowing that basically you know there's been a, ch- a great chance of people basically getting their way or thinking mm-hmm. they're getting their way. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, going back to the class I was speaking about, the science fiction class, um, you know, besides me and, you know, my little bits of, 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 I guess, I would say anxiety, but my anxiety wasn't really geared with fear, it was geared with anger. So, okay. with my, you know, excusing my, my little bit, you know, a lot of people, especially the few people of color, you know, they tried to have a lot of reason with it you know, basically accepting it for what it is, you know, and hmm. I don't know. For me, it was kind of just like, I don't know. Like, I was just kind of... So there's like a, a sense of resignation that, oh, this is the way it is, so what? So we're just going to just lay down and take it? What's yeah. the level of activism like on your campus? I mean, I know we've talked privately about it, but where are the people of color? What are they doing? on your campus to to agitate, to resist, to protest. Is there a lot well, of that happening? Uh I'm not gonna say no because honestly speaking, I do not keep up with a lot of things on campus because of me and my schoolwork and 
whatnot. Yeah. But um, there have been times, especially, you know, during <clears throat> the election season where, like, the uh, – I, I wouldn't even know how – what to even – Call the group because I'm not I'm not sure if it was like a NAACP based group I'm not sure but um, okay. I remember going to this gathering on uh, this little grassy uh, not circle triangle that we have between our library and our uh, post office dining area mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, you know everybody had black you know because it was a blackout day. I have okay. black on. Um, okay. Either way, uh, when I went, you know, I was I was a little bit late, um, but when I finally caught up to the circle, you know, listening to people speak, because, of course, you know, most of those who attended this little meeting, you know, were people of color. They were, mm-hmm. you know, your little sprinkles of little white people, little, little something else, you know. But yeah. you could tell that it was mainly based on, you know, our people. So basically, um, listening to individuals talk, you know, everybody's basically trying to try. It, it, it's like people are trying to find peace from what I you mm-hmm. know, realized with that, you know, like yeah. not really trying to you know, really have, like, too much, how, how can I say it? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting what, not really what I'm saying, but, you know, just. So it sounds like to me <laughs> that, that like, like this gathering, this action was about coming together to, yeah. well, to just kind of say we're here and then also to find comfort in each other. But, yeah, you know, not really looking outward to say we want this kind of change, we want that kind of change, we want we want to we're protesting toward a certain end, um, right. you know, a change or a resistance or get out to vote or get out to do this or get out to do something. It's more about right. we're just trying to maintain, and I and I feel like. When you're, I guess if you're black or a person of color or a marginalized person in a situation like being in Georgia, I couldn't even imagine being like in Alabama or Mississippi, which is even more, you know what I mean? Like you, you don't have the pockets of blue that you would have like in a, in a Georgia or, you know, uh, maybe North Carolina, South Carolina. I don't know, but to be in those red states and just not have any kind of outlet or any voice. kind of voice yeah. would would frustrate me. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. I so mean, then I, there's I, no. It, it, so then there's no like in in the aftermath. Like, what do you do? You know, how do you mobilize? How do you how do you protest? Now, what we have in terms of a, of a Trump administration that's, you know, like today, getting ready to mobilize the National Guard. Right, I saw that. I don't know if you all heard about this. This is breaking news. So yeah. no. there was a memo. There was a memo that has is a draft memo that was leaked. The AP reported on this, and other you know outlets picked it up. 
that that he has plans to mobilize the National Guard to begin picking up immigrants in at least 11 states, none of which have anything to do with the border. And so he plans on doing that among, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, mobilizing the local police, you know, to pick up undocumented workers, people who look like undocumented workers. And I tweeted, or I think I Instagram a screenshot of this, of this news. It was like, yeah, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is, (laughs) this is not good. This is not good at all because, this is a slippery slope that could start here but end up empowering law enforcement to pick black folks up, to pick gay folks up, to pick, you know, Jews up, to pick whoever they feel like is a threat to national security. So um, let me just pull this caller in. Hold on one second. Okay. Hi, uh, area code two hundred six. You're on the air. Hey, hello, Melissa. It's Pete Marriott. Oh, hi. <laughs> How you doing? Pete, is, Pete and I are friends on um, Facebook. He's oh, also, okay. Uh, he's also in. Um, he's in the Justice Group, the Facebook oh, okay. group that we're in together. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Hey, Pete. How you doing? This is Tishka Smith. I'm the host of the podcast. Pretty good. Um, we're talking about Trump. We're talking about um, youth activism. We're talking about the chaos of the Trump administration, which you're obviously aware of. Um, what do oh, you yeah. what What are your thoughts coming in? Um, well, I can't ex- exactly say how I know about stuff. I happen to know people. You know, I used to be a Boy Scout. Let's, Let's just put it that out there like that. I used to be a Boy Scout. A Boy some Scout. Of the, some of the guys who was in my scout troop went into the military. Some went okay. to work in the law, in law enforcement. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So um, basically I got into a heated discussion about my Facebook posts, which uh-huh. Melissa can tell you. And basically they were saying like, you really need to be careful what you're posting on Facebook. And they just pretty much said Chicago. They said, basically they said a couple of cities, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago, they were saying like Oakland, um, Philadelphia. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> they're they're going to be done <laughs> deals. So when I saw that story broke about the, you know, the whole immigration thing, I'm like, wow, this is pretty much what I was being warned about. So mm-hmm. it's, it's coming down to that. Yeah. And all, all yeah, I'm going to say is, <clears throat> Go ahead. Um, I strongly suggest everyone, I strongly suggest everyone take classes in hand-to-hand combat, knife combat, firearm safety, Camping and survival skills and first aid, yeah. mm-hmm. because I personally believe that we are headed for the second American Civil War. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's important to know, Pete. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because with the breaking news today, where we're talking about an administration looking to use the National Guard 
to round up quote unquote undocumented workers. You know, really this is about national security, so they can expand the definition of who they want to round up at any time. Right. And you know, and then that will empower and um you know it'll empower people who think, well, I'm just gonna go ahead and round me up some folks too. <laughs> and you know, which would you know, I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the George Zimmermans of the world who think, Oh, yeah. if I'm in town watch, I can go round up some black folks or shoot some black folks or whatever. Like this type of, you know, normalization empowers people to go rogue. And so that's why it's important to have these skills. And it's, what do you yeah. think about, you know, like college campuses? You you mentioned um, our city, Philadelphia, Oakland, Chicago. That's my hometown where my daughter was right. born. Um, college campuses, there's been a huge debate about sanctuary status. Um, where does that leave college students? Does anybody who wants to weigh in on that? Um, honestly, uh, like I was saying earlier, like a lot of like tension, like not just on the campus, at least to where I go and attend or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like I trying not to think about the the apparent negative that that could possibly happen as in mm-hmm. people really losing their minds and thinking that since so on and so forth is 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 in place that means they can do whatever they they choose you know so it's it's kind of like it's like you kind of if you especially if you're really uh if you really pay attention because i i can honestly state that i, I i'm not really sure if, you know a lot of people on my campus really, like, pay attention or not. Well, they should because, you know, if you have states like Georgia, if you have states like Georgia saying, come on in, National Guard, (laughs) and you have local law enforcement basically deputized to do the same, there's going to be a lot of, like, there's going to be a lot of activity, and it's going to happen very quickly. And then that will then send a signal to the hate groups that, you know, who are very heavily armed in states like Georgia, in states like Pennsylvania, all over. We're seeing a rise in hate groups, right? And they're heavily armed. They are, you know, they're they're just waiting for an opportunity to get frogged. You know what I mean? So, yes. Because they've been looking I'm sorry, for. I didn't hear that. Say again, Pete. They, Who said the that? The groups have been training for years. Right. Oh well, yeah. 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 And I feel like like all these things are converging at a point where you know the Democrats have been, you know, promoting this sort of unrealistic way to look at the political climate. You know. Earlier, you know, there was an allusion to, you know, to Michelle Obama's meme, you know, when they hit low, you aim high or whatever. And it's like, that's, that, you know, that's not going to get people 
you know, that's not going to get people safe. It's going to get people killed because if someone's <laughs> aiming that low to try to eliminate you, like they're not in the they're not in a position to think. Oh, let's take the high protection. You know, we're beyond that. I think at this point, I really hate to say that. Um, so the advice on you know hand to hand combat training, maybe getting you know concealed to carry license, um, going to the yeah. range. I've been seeing pictures of people doing that. You know, just to be prepared. Survivalist skills, getting your 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 go bag. You know, having supplies lined up, knowing how to survive in inclement weather, things like that. Um, that's important. In addition to mobilizing, protesting, resisting, getting on social media, doing stuff off social media, all that. Like, you got to be engaged across the board. What do you all think? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think, and we should, we should take advantage of the. Of, of their their weak their weak firearms laws, um, um, and we definitely should take a more a more combative and militant approach to this because that's what they're doing, and, and they're going to come knocking at our door one day, and we have to be prepared. Um, it, it's very it's very unfortunate, um, as, as you said, but I, I I think it's necessary at this point. Honestly, yeah, I, I do too. Go ahead, it's, Melissa. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, Sazi and I have talked about this a bit because we're, um, I've always been very scared of guns and nervous around them, and I don't know mm-hmm. if, if guns are necessarily the way I'd want to go, but I was looking on, um, people have been sharing a lot of different sites, and there are other things you can get besides guns to help protect yourself if yeah. that's something that makes you uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And there, there are definitely different things you can do. I'm looking into martial arts classes for Sazi. And um, I'm in some, some groups that are, you know, focused on self-defense and, um, you know, ensuring, you know, groups that, that focus on self-defense and focus on protect, uh, protecting people who are in those groups, whether or not mm-hmm. they are members of those marginalized groups. They're working on, mm-hmm. you know, mobilizing to help, to help people. And I think that's really, you know, we have to do that. That's what they're doing. Um, yeah. I think there needs to be more of a left-wing side of the, the NRA, you know, Mhm. Mhm. If that makes yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. It's just like you can't, you can't, you can't say, well, we're gonna have, we're gonna be ready for the other side by saying let's have a war of ideas, and they they're coming armed and ready to, you know, ready to kill you. You know what I mean? It's like that. That's delusional. That's delusional thinking, not, and I think yeah, it's not the time for pacifism. No. <laughs> like if you it's just not. don't. You know, you come into a gunfight with a with a manifesto. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> read this before you shoot me. You know what I mean? It's like that doesn't – that's not rational. And I feel like I'm very angry at the Democrat, the Democratic Party for pushing that kind of ideological bull crap. You know what I mean? Like – we can be, we can be, we can rise high, and we can have ideas, and we can be policy wonks, and 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 the base on the other side is like we ready to kill up some, you know, insert, you know, expletive, insert, you know, epithet in the blank. You know what I mean? They ready to kill up folks. They ready to send people back. They ready, to, you know, they're ready to move, and they're ready to move with violence. So that's, you know, that's kind of where I am with it. Um, 
you know, you just have to you have to know who your opponent is. You have to be honest about who your opponent is, and you also have to be prepared to match up with them point by point, you know, blow by blow. You know, you're not going to be able to sway the conversation to a level if your opponent is like, we ready to go down in the dirt with it. You know what I'm saying? So that's my position about it. Yeah. Um, I also think... Go ahead. Uh, I also think um, socially it's, it's necessary to take a, uh, a similar approach as far as, as far as having friends or even acquaintances that, you know, that support Trump or, you know, like, like, or apologists for Trump. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of necessary to, to sever any ties, I mean, that you might have with them because um, it's it's really just, like, I, I mean, you can't give, like, these people, like, any sort of uh, knowledge of, like, like who you are or, like, uh, like what you're planning to do um, because they, they right now, uh, they have the advantage uh, in terms of, well, actually, I guess they don't in terms of numbers. If you look at the positive of but in terms of the administration, um, it's uh, – yeah, I just wanted to expand off the theme that we need to take all precautions necessary. I have a caller on 314. I'm going to bring them on. Hold on a second. Hello, uh, Erico 314. You're on the air. Hello. Yeah, how you doing today? You got a Trump supporter here. Oh, and your name is? Yes. Oh, my name, name is Bianca yes? calling from the Midwest. You're from three on. You're my from St. Is... Louis. Calling from the St. Louis area. My permanent residence is in Louisiana, though. But, okay. Uh, I was looking at your your topic, and you made yeah. mention about Russia. I don't know what you were speaking on as far as more is concerned. But uh, I don't know well. You apparently have an element as far as Russia is concerned. Yeah, apparently you made a mention to a name. You said more? No, you said Russia and more. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I posted a bunch of links of events that have happened over the over the course of this week. I don't know if you checked out the episode page. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, a lot happening this week with the Trump administration starting with the the Flynn resignation and ending with what I understand to be a a rally happening this Saturday in Florida. So what's the question? Well, you got some illegals down. You have uh, Trump is is, is going to Florida. But the thing is, is that uh, I I never cared much for Flynn. I believe that the military should be controlled by civilians, myself. It's bad, to, dangerous to have military control of the military. Uh, when you look at, for instance, you look at the African-American community. African-American community don't control the police department, even though they pay for it, and they don't even vote to make changes on it once they're on the city council. If, if you got a police department that you're paying for and they're running buck wild in your community mm-hmm. and they're behaving to you, behaving to you in all sorts of ways, including beating you up, well, at what point in time do you tell your employees it's time for you to stop or time for you to go? So I look at the same thing with Flynn. 
I didn't care too much for Flynn. As I said, I don't I don't believe the military should control the military. The Pentagon shouldn't control the Pentagon. That should be civilians. But if, I mean, if you're, if you're if you're let me if if you let me just make this comment. If you're you know following what you're saying to its logical conclusion, then Flynn Flynn is an employee of the of the American people, and I don't think that Donald Trump framed his resignation as the American people have spoken. And he's, you know, respectfully resigning. Um, he kind of framed it as I fired him, and, you know, partly because he didn't, he didn't have this conversation, these conversations with with Michael Pence. Um, well, anybody else want to jump well, in on this on this comment? Well, well you only got something. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to make these points so I can get out and let you get back to your show. And okay. As far as Russia is concerned, uh, I don't see nothing wrong with making cordial relationship with Russia. Russia has enough power to destroy the United States thirty or forty times over. Uh, why you got an element in this uh, in military? You got an element in the business world. You got an element of oligarchies that love to see a war of some conflict between Russia. Because they make money off of those things. Sure. Uh, Russia don't joke. It's best to have a friend than to have uh, somebody of that magnitude that uh, we constantly want to be their enemy. You talk about sure, Crimea. You talk about the yeah the Crimea and the Ukraine. Russia is not going to let uh, let uh, the West put uh, weapons and missiles and. A country's right adjoining to it, just like Kennedy wouldn't allow Khrushchev to put missiles, even though they was already there, in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Now, on the immigration, I think that illegal immigrants, if they're not here legally, they need to go. You couldn't go in another country without having your uh, your documentation. And, you know, it's a funny thing that you got Mexicans marching in the streets here in the United States, waving their Mexican flag and, you know, saying the things that they say. But have you ever read the Mexican Constitution? Why would I need to read the Mexican Constitution? Well, because one I mean, reason, as an American citizen, you don't have to. But I, need, I need to let, know the American Constitution, but, you know, as far as, um, you know. Trump might want to read that, too. Well, yeah, well, that, too. Um, well, but, let, me read, let me read something to you real quick. It's not that long. Here's Article 32 of the Mexican Constitution. It says Mexicans shall have priority over foreigners under equality of circumstances for all classes of concessions and for all employment positions or commissions of the government in which the status of citizenship is not indispensable. And it goes on to say in time of peace, no foreigner can serve in the army or police department. It goes on further in Article 30 to say foreigners may not in any way participate in the political affairs of the country. Then another point mentioned that uh, it talks about, uh, let's see here, Mexicans have the executive have a right, the executive, that's what they call their president. Okay. The executive has a right to kick out foreigners without court opinion. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We We have less than 15 minutes. And I want I want to give people a chance to respond 
to the points that you raised oh. about Russia. I want to start by saying that, you know, there are rules of engagement, and the issue is not whether or not we're friends with Russia or not. It's about rules of engagement. Does anybody want to chime in on that? Um, I'd like to say that. The thing is with Russia, this isn't about having cordial relationships, a cordial relationship with Russia. I'm not against having a cordial relationship with any other country. This is about Trump and Tillerson and their, their brethren enriching themselves without restraint. It has nothing to do with having cordial relationships with Russia. It has everything to do with Trump being Putin's puppet. It's not about cordial relations. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And the thing with Mexico, regardless of their their constitution, I mean, assuming that your what you're reading is is accurate, I don't care about that. I mean, they they should be able to come here. Um, and it's not like they're getting they're taking advantage and they're getting having all these advantages that are being denied other yeah. citizens. It's not. There's nothing wrong. They were here first. Most of a uh, good part of this country used to be Mexico. Yeah, there are enough point. resources here to allocate allocate things uh, so that nobody here is suffering. But they don't want to do that, and they're, they're using Mexicans as a scapegoat. So this is ridiculous. Anybody else want to want to chime in on the comment from three one four? Um, I was just going to speak on Mexico. I'm not going to speak too much on Russia because. That's one of the things that I've been needing to take more time to read up on. But uh, sure. the issue with just Mexico, uh, first of all, I know Mexico isn't the only country that has immigration, you know, or immigrants coming within our country. You know, right. when we're talking about constitutions, first of all, let's all be honest, whether it's the U.S. Constitution or um, Mexican Constitution, you know, that piece of paper and series of, of, of amendments or whatever the hell you want to call them, they're, they're, they're outdated. So when, when we're really thinking about it, you know, we're, we're trying to call, you know, ourselves, you know, you know uh, future thinkers and, and people of, of this new world, yet we're still thinking with old ways that don't even allow us to even really consider ourselves or, I mean, con- consider the, the possible uh, action of, of being so-called fast, you know, fast, future, whatever the hell type people, I guess. Um, I don't know. I just I kind of feel like, you know, <laughs> before we start talking about immigration, we need to talk about our own country. You know, that, that I guess yeah, that, that, I think, that's where it all comes down for me. I mean, the importance of our Constitution is that it's, it's the blueprint on which this country was founded and how we would govern ourselves. And, you know, there are some elements of the constitution, you know, there are some people who, who want to kind of govern, you know, strictly by the constitution without taking into account the current state of affairs. But then there are also people who understand that this document, you know, some elements of the document may have outlived their usefulness, but in terms of where we are, and in terms of Mexico and where you know, Mexicans are in terms of their allegiances here or to their home country or whatever, you know, the thing that we should be concerned about is understanding 
why Mexicans and other immigrants come here in the first place. Exactly. And, you know, we're, you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't make this a constitutional debate. It's all about economics. Well, it goes back to the if I can say something. No, um, let me finish. I mean, it all goes okay. back to economics. It goes back to economics and we need to, you know, stop using the constitution as a way to deflect the conversation about why immigrants end up here in the first place. Right. Um, you know, that's just, that's the just question is, the question is what our policies, what if someone's our banging, could you, put your, could you put your phone on mute? <laughs> well, it's not me. Thank you. I don't know who that is. Whoever's banging, please stop. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. No, what our policies are doing in Mexico that's causing people to cross the border illegally. Yes. Our policies. Because everything is a cause and effect from our mm-hmm. policies. You know, you look at the pirates in Africa. That's because of our policies, because our oil companies are raking the lands there, the farmland, and that's why these guys are, you know, sticking up our ships mm-hmm. and holding people for ransom. The mm-hmm. same same thing that happens in the Middle East. You know, we're dropping bombs on people. Yeah. We're, you mm-hmm. know, making things hard for them. Again, it comes down to our policies. Mm-hmm. So Americans basically need to educate ourselves, you know what I mean? Like we need to educate ourselves on what our government is doing. We yeah. have a network. It's called C-SPAN. Our tax dollars pay for C-SPAN. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we're not watching that. We're watching VH1, Love and Hip Hop, or... and, and Bravo, <laughs> yeah. Real Housewives. And, That's a good point. You know what I mean? Yeah. We need That's to, a good um, point. Could I, I say like something there's, Like there's a, there's, a, there's a void of, of education. I call it Idiot America. And we buy into to sound bites, and we believe what we're told without investigating things further, which I think is a contributing factor to why we ended up here, um, not understanding that this administration has economic interests, like Melissa said, to enrich themselves through the infrastructure and mechanisms of government. Um, and this is real. I mean, you know, we can talk about the Mexican Constitution. We can talk about you know, why Mexicans are here today without immigrants action yesterday um, wasn't exclusive to Mexicans. There are all kinds of immigrants who um, who basically opted out of going to work to show the economic impact of what happens when immigrants disappear. You know, and we're not talking, we're not having a conversation about that. We're not even talking about, so how do we, what's the replacement strategy? How, what's the ripple effect of immigrants being removed from this country are we going to go back to hiring black and brown people are we going to you know what are we doing in response to the policies that are being enacted right now i don't think the conversation that's that should be the focus i think that the and i'm not just talking about mexico Mexico. I could have used many different countries' constitution that it spells out. It puts their people first. Americans should not have to stand behind any immigrant, any refugee, any non, any illegal. 
in line for services like we find them doing. I know Americans with foreign spouse. But, but the thing that you're doing is you're 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 demonizing and you're scapegoating the immigrants, and you're not having a conversation about the people who source this labor. You know, yeah. capitalism well, elevates what should those be done. who are job creators. No, let me finish. It elevates people who are job creators. We put them on a pedestal. We don't want to hold them accountable. We want to scapegoat yeah. the workers. We don't want to right. call into account the people who, who generate profit and want to keep it for themselves, the, the very people mm-hmm. who have been responsible for moving jobs overseas. Let's talk about how they are looking out for the American people. Well, the Where's thing the is, is that they that? are not—they are not breaking any laws. What laws Who are they breaking? Not, when you, when you, well, it's not about the laws. But anybody, we're talking about but, a moral. But can we have a? Here. There's no and such moral know, obligation. Always, it's not a, a moral obligation because the moral obligation starts. You can't argue. You can't argue morals right. in the court, ma'am. Where is the law that's being broken? Anyone that comes to the country, listen, if you go to another country, you have to have a visa. Sir, if you don't let me finish, I will disconnect. Ma'am, you have your show. Talk to yourself. Anyway, moral obligation starts there, and that branches out to the law. I'm not going to play with it. You know, I'm not going to have someone coming on first derailing the conversation and then wanting to, to redirect it into... You know, argument about laws. Xenophobic rant. Huh? You know, it's about moral moral obligations that, you know, they they ripple outward into how we make laws. You know, we can't say on one hand, this is a a religious, you know, country, and then go about talking about those religious tenets that formulate and inform our laws are relevant. You can't have it both ways, and that's why I cannot have a conversation with the right. They want it both oh, ways. Oh, and they also, they're targeting, they're only targeting brown and black immigrants. I mean, How about that? I mean, exactly. Exactly. I didn't mean to drop, I, I dropped Pete by mistake. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> anyway, we got we got under five minutes for the show. This has been a really good episode. I didn't anticipate having a troll, um, but <laughs> hey, it is what it is. I made it a lot more interesting, I can tell you that, um, because just you know, hearing him talk just kind of like had my gears turning in a way. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, if you're going to have this conversation, you got to realize the limits of your argument. Um, if you want to go talking about the courts, you know, People on the right use the courts to support their moral beliefs, their religious beliefs. And yet when we raise that question on the left or the progressives raise it, it's like, well, you can't do that. No, get out of here with that. You know, I'm not trying to hear that. Anyway, we got under three minutes. You know, any final thoughts? At the end of the day, how how I feel about it, like going to school where I go to school at the end of the day, it's like we have to start within ourselves before we mm-hmm. we, we do this pointing fingers and blaming other people and, 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 and trying to redirect, you know, yeah. where we really need to focus on. Mm-hmm. That, I guess that's really all I have to say. Like even even as a college student, we're we're young adults, we're getting ready to really 
go out here in this world. And, you know, I feel like it, it, it even starts a little bit, you know, before now, but I guess that's really all I have to say is take responsibility. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it's all about starting with yourself and, and doing some reflection and, and self-examination. Um, any other final thoughts with two minutes left to go? I just think that we need to we need to stay 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 strong and stay motivated, um, and I, I think we'll get through this. Okay, Melissa, final thoughts. <laughs> it's funny because Savi and I we're always talking about that. It's just because some days you just feel like you're going to lose it. Um, but yeah, yeah. We, we do have to. I, I agree. I mean, this is what they're counting on with the constant. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, there's, those are deliberate tactics to confuse us, to throw us off kilter. That the amount of yeah. things that have uh, been thrown in us, whether or not they've actually happened, you know, yeah. they followed through. But it's designed to overwhelm us, and we can't let that happen because yeah. we have to keep fighting. Yeah, and I think that's really important. All right, so we got one minute left. I want to thank you all for joining. Joining me today on Voices for Racial Healing, we have a special episode tomorrow um, at noon with the filmmakers of Americana. I want you to join me. Um, I'm on Instagram at I am Tishka Smith on Twitter with the same handle. Voices for Racial Healing is on the web at VoicesForRacialHealing.com. And um, healing, oh, it's Heal Racism USA on Twitter. All right. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining me today, talking about our good friend, Donald Trump. (laughs) And (laughs) this has been an exciting episode, and I really appreciate you all taking the time today to join me. All right. I'm signing out. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.